with you and to um, worship with you. Some faces we see are familiar and some are new, and that's great. And it's always good to see Pastor and to hear Valerie play. Um, we try to catch the, uh, the uh, videos uh, uh, as often as we can and uh, to see, I uh, appreciate Pastor Jeff's teaching, and so it's always good to hear that, and um, we try to at least to catch that uh, once in a while, and we appreciate that and your, your support here of the church. Well, this morning I'd like to ask a question. Uh, who do you say you are? Have you ever really thought about that? Now, I'm going to ask it myself. Who do I say that I am? And I say you are who you are, and I am who I am. But what do we know about ourselves? And that's the question. Um, when I would lead uh, groups, sometimes uh, in teaching or training, and I would often say in the first session, maybe you've been in that, tell us something about yourself. And invariably, a man will tell you right away where he works or what his uh, vocational skill is. And invariably, if she has children, the wife and, and married, she said, I, I have so many, uh, X amount of children, or, or whoever they are. And um, I thought, uh, you really should say something else about yourself. Well, then came to my mind, here you can tell the reservoir of great illustrations I have, I thought of Popeye, the cartoon character. Do you remember what he said? I am what I am. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Even he identified himself with his calling. In fact, we've only ever known him as Popeye the Sailor Man. But who really was he? And so I asked that ourselves. Who really are we? I uh, received mailings from Sports Spectrum. I don't know if you know that Christian ministry. They put out a magazine. They put out a weekly email and uh, tell you testimonies about usually college and professional athletes, men and women. And uh, I, I just uh, glad to get that, especially on the email every week, and I send it out to 10 other guys that I have on a list and um, to share their testimonies and stories of uh, who they are. And many times, I've been really uh, uh, interested in reading recently, many of them are saying, both professionals and college, um, we are not just identified as an athlete. We are more than that. And they will say, we are followers of Jesus Christ. That's quite a statement in our world today. You hear it sometimes. The athletes will verbalize it on the TV. Uh, and it's a great way to hear their testimony. And uh, you need to pray, by the way, for Christian and college athletes today. And uh, in the world and living, they have quite a platform. And many of them will say, God gave us this ability to play, and so we have a platform of speaking for him, and I trust they will. Well, I enjoy speaking of human temperament. In fact, for, uh, since in the late 90s, I guess, uh, I've been teaching or training about human temperament, basic human temperament, and uh, I enjoy looking at um, uh, people with the profile that we give them to Ask them the question then, how do, you, what, how do you think about yourself? Who do you say you are? What do you think about yourself? What do you believe about yourself? Many people, 
don't want to do that. And I've had him say, I'm just a little bit afraid that what I might discover. Well, as I look into the scriptures, I like studying there and, and the profiles we offer. Uh, they give you biblical characters too, if you want to get into that area. And so I like to watch, uh, look at the biblical characters <clears throat> and to um, see how they were wired, as we call it. And then to ask myself, how did God wire me? And so we talk about that. How has God wired you from the time you were born? And um, as I go through the scriptures, and uh, probably along with me, you have some favorite characters. And I have a couple favorite personalities of the scriptures, apart from Jesus, of course, and uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is one that, um, that uh, I line up with a bit on my uh, uh, profile. And uh, it's because we have some uh, similar uh, qualities of, um, in the one we use of choleric melancholy people, uh, and uh, good and bad, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And uh, some people, uh, you, you might, Peter would be one that we use, or we use uh, Moses, or we use the prophets, or uh, people that have different kind of uh, temperament and blends, we see them in the New Testament as well, in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. And I'd like for you to look with me at Paul this morning, and uh, I think we'll see and how, in choosing him, why uh, he's such a good illustration. Um, as we look at this, by the way, some people would say the Apostle Paul was the greatest Christian who ever lived. Now, I, I can't say that for sure, and no one can really say that be, for sure, but he was one that was at the very top of the scale, if you presume, the top of the ladder in uh, uh, really his commitment in living for God. Now, we're, we don't know who all ever lived in the whole time of the Christian faith, but he certainly be one as a good measuring stick. But he also had weaknesses. He was also human, as we'll see. He was also a man of the flesh, as we'll see. But he also had a different life when he got his, the characters of your life straightened out. We'll mention that in a moment. And so I'd like to look at a couple of points with you from Philippians, the book of Philippians. If you'll turn there, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians, okay? That's in your New Testament, and if you have uh, a, a scripture in front of you, uh, we will look at chapter 3. But in chapter 1, by the way, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi while under house arrest, probably from Rome. And he was able to write a number of letters from there. And to the Philippians, he was writing a book of joy and encouragement for them. It's a very positive book. If you need an uplift uh, through the day, maybe it's a good one to start out on Monday versus uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, for instance. You want to start with Philippians and then uh, go through your week. It is a positive. And he encouraged them in the first uh, chapter by saying, I remember you always in my prayers. Uh, uh, that he, he tried to reinforce the churches that he would communicate with, that he prayed for them, he remembered them. And then also in chapter one, he says something about the fact the work that God has begun in you, he, he will complete it. And uh, he gave them that hope and encouragement. Then in chapter two, he writes these verses about who Jesus really was, the uniqueness of Christ. And, um, uh, just uh, Christology there, uh, it's, a, it's an excellent chapter 
along with a couple other chapters in the New Testament to really look at who Jesus really was. And then in chapter 4, and I've always liked talking about chapter 4 and even in counseling with people from chapter 4, because there it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious or don't worry about anything. But in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And what's God going to do for you when you do that? Give you a peace that passes all human understanding. That's called the peace of God. Romans 5 says we have peace with God when we receive Christ as our personal Savior when we're brought into the family. This is the peace, an abiding peace with God as we trust him. And uh, so that's a little bit of the book of Philippians, but what I say about chapter 3, well, let's come back to there because I skipped over there, didn't I? In chapter 3, we see who Paul is. Who are you, Paul? Have you ever wanted to ask Bible characters? Maybe you've played that little game before. When you get to heaven, who's the first Bible, uh, other than Jesus, okay, who's the first Bible character you would want to talk with? Okay, did you ever think about that? Anybody have a favorite right away? You, you have one. One of my first ones is, I'd like to think, I'd like to talk to Moses. Now, the lines are going to be very long, but I, I'm willing to wait. Because I say to Moses, when he was there, out in that sheep field, after he was in the palace, Okay, after he was trained the first 40 years on the way to Egyptian royalty, he then gets put out into the, to tend the sheep. And nothing wrong with being a sheep herder, but that was not what he was really geared for. And for 40 years before God moved him to take care of the people, um, then to lead them um, as the way God would have them to. But he had to train, I'm going to say to Moses, Moses, how did you do it? How did you cope with all that you had to go through? I mean, I think of the times I've had to endure and those little segments of time and how did you do it? I don't know, but I want to ask him that. And then, of course, I would like to meet the Apostle Paul. Say, good to meet you, buddy. Okay, I share a lot of things with you. I appreciate you helping me through the scriptures. Setting a standard for me. And uh, that's what I want to share with you this morning, the standard he set. But first of all, I'd like just to say that Paul, uh, we meet him, of course, as Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, where he has this encounter with Jesus Christ in this bright light. Who would have ever thought the Apostle Paul was going to become a believer in Christ? Nobody. I've often asked people, do you think anyone prayed for Saul of Tarsus to become a believer in Christ? Who was adamantly opposed and had them... Um, put in prison or even killed? Is that there to give authentication for Stephen's death? You think, would you have prayed for Paul? Or would you say, God, I think you ought to just blast him, eliminate him? Do we pray for our leaders, as the Bible says? Say, oh, he would never come to Christ. She would never come to Christ. Paul did. And Paul said, that was the least of expected ones that would come to Christ. He even admitted that. Okay? And so when I look at that, I'm going to say, wow, what a testimony. Thank you. Tell me about it. And on that road, his life was changed and began to be rearranged. He wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and he knew what he was talking about when he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things passed away. 
Behold, new things have come. You know, I don't know about you, but I think Paul might have said to himself as he was making this translation, what, transition, what has happened to me? What has happened? Did you ever think of that? All of a sudden, God does something and say, what in the world just happened to me? And that's what Paul, I'm sure, was thinking. And so when we see here in chapter 3, uh, the first six verses talks about his past. Then verses 7 through, um, actually, uh, through about 16, it talks about his present. And then the remainder of the chapter talks about his future. And I'm, I'm going to concentrate with you briefly on his past and then talk more about his present and allow you to read on about what he says about the future for the sake of our time. Let's look first of all at the first six verses. And if you want a little bit of an outline point, we must forget our past. He really talks about it in verses four through six. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision. We worship in the spirit of God and glory to Christ Jesus and no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day, eighth day, a nation of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as for the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. There's first couple of verses, he talks about the dogs, the Judaizers, that were trying to get the people to come back under Judaism. And of course, they thought physical circumcision was the way, and Paul says, no, we're spiritually circumcised on the inside. And they had to battle that, as many of the first century churches did. And Paul was telling them, no, there's more to that in Christ. Beware of those dogs. Beware of those Judaizers. Stay away from them. Don't listen to them. And then he says this. If anyone has confidence in the flesh, I do. Now, this is, this is Paul speaking as the old Saul, or saying, here's my testimony. He says, if anyone has confidence to be in the flesh, okay, we're going to compare, right? Now, you've heard this. People say, well, you think, and we try to top, or we say, but I know, and, you know, I did this, or, you know, we try to battle it out with somebody as to what our credentials may be. He said, okay, if you want to go to bat on credential cha challenging, here it is. Circumcised on the eighth day. Jewish boys did that. And he says, of or out of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews. As for the law, he said, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As to righteousness, which is from the law, which is in the law, I'm found blameless. Now, when I read through that, I think, wow. What a Jewish believer. And you know, he was in the process of working to the top of the ladder in Judaism. And nothing was stopping him. Now when we look at this then, we realize that Paul's traits, and especially before God got a hold of him through Christ, were very self selfish, self-centered traits of being strong and determined and direct 
and uh, an achiever. At any cost, he was willing to do it. He was controlling. He was going to have his own way. He was going to do it his way. He was going to make it, and he was going to be the best. Now, that's the Apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, before he became Paul. Now, if he was to be interviewed that day by some news uh, company, uh, and they had heard that he became a believer in Christ, and you know, they have the news media waiting till they could find him, as you hear in TV day, today and other places. When they go to him and say, tell us about how you had Christians killed and how you had them imprisoned, he said, hold it. Don't want to talk about that. I want to tell you what happened recently in my life. I want to tell you what kind of change has come into my life. And the news media would have done what? See ya, Saul. We thought this was going to be big headlines. But he kept going. Because from that day on, he didn't see Saul of Tarsus like he did before. You know, if he had a vanity wall, any of you have a vanity wall? Or some people call them a me wall. Some of you guys, we know that. Yeah, I have some things hanging up, you know. Some achievements or some recognitions or some pictures with a famous person or whatever. Paul's walls would have been saturated with them. He had all the achievements. He had all the notoriety. And he was, going to, he was determined to keep going and achieving all he could. But God changed his life. Now, here's the exciting thing about what God can do. He took Paul's character traits, and, which were good in many ways, and he just, he just massaged them, and he just brought them into Christendom out of his Judaism. And out of, he just said, okay, I'm going to use you, because we all have strengths and weaknesses. I always tell people, build on your strengths, work on your weaknesses. And ask that those, God, as you pray those weaknesses, Use those, use those prayer requests, say, God, help me in those areas. And those strengths say, thank you, God. And you don't want to be too egotistical about your strengths because then they can come, become an enemy to you because you can get conceited. So there needs to be that balance, and Paul saw that and had to work on that. But as we see that, then, he would say, I have no reason to live that way again. Okay? And in verse 7, we see... But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Okay, he said, that's my past life. And I see in this text right here, Paul is kind of sharing two lives. Two lives that he lived. One was Saul of Tarsus. Now this one's the new Paul of Christ, in Christ. Maybe you have said that. Maybe you say, yeah, I remember, I had a, a life before Christ, and I have a life now after Christ. And um, I see the difference of how God worked in my life. And you just stand back and say, wow, what happened? I remember the day that I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Although I was just 11 years old, and my life, of course, up to that time was not too troubled at all. But I remember the night I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's clear as in, in my mind. It's like it would have been last night. But it was many years ago when I was 11 years old. But I remember. 
And I didn't realize what God was going to do in my life. And, you know, I wish uh, I'd have known more uh, as we went through what God wanted to do. But then one day he woke me up and changed the course of my life and said, I have a new way for you. And new opportunities came. I was going down a road that I thought that's the way I was to go. It was satisfying. I didn't think it was horrible. But God didn't want me down that road. So he changed me. He created a, a, a situation in my life that just got my attention and changed me. And that's what Paul said. He was changed and rearranged. And he goes through the scriptures telling us that is his testimony. And then the question was, he gained this knowledge uh, of, of what Christ had for him and how he was trained. And it was more than a head knowledge. He now had a personal experience with the Savior. We're not sure how much he knew actually about Jesus. There's thoughts that he never met him. And uh, we, he, knows what, he knew what Christians were standing for. But, uh, and he, he was willing to go to a battle against them. But now he's one of them. His life's been changed. I'm sure he didn't quite understand everything. He couldn't quite figure it all out as well. And then the key to the book to Philippians, the letter of Philippians, is in 121, where he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's his new life. He now says, what I have to live for is not for myself, not for all those accolades, not for all those things of Judaism and my achievements and my goals. He says, now it's for Christ. I'm just amazed when I read that. I, I, just, I just love reading that. And in verse 7 then, where he said what was gained. In verse 8, he says, more than that, I counted all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Savior, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and counted them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Here he's, he's saying he's knowing Christ, and this word means he's knowing him by experience now. He wants to experience him. He wants to have him in a a personal relationship with himself. And then he said, through it all, he was willing to suffer the loss of all things. All things. All those things was making him a top, top Jewish leader in his pursuits. He said, I'm willing to give them up. It's really interesting when it says he counted the cost. It's like someone, an accountant, counting up the numbers. It's like us counting the different ways and we're making a decision. It's coming and trying to figure it out. And he said he counted it up. And as he was counting it up, in the view of surpassing this great value and this great knowledge of sharing the experience of Christ, he was willing to give up all those things. He no longer wanted to be a keeper of the Jewish law. He no wanted, now, not that the law was all bad. We're not saying that. I mean, to be committed to it and by works and other ways of achieving spiritual uh, relation with God and all, he said, I don't want that anymore. I found, I found who I really am, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's who I've now had an encounter with. And so when it says he wants to know him, it's by experience. And then he wanted to know the Lord by living as Jesus did. That's very interesting. We often say, 
do you, do you want to really live like Jesus did, and how do you do it? And I thought through that for a second or two, and I said, well, just like we're told, Paul did that. Paul did that. How did he do it? Well, he read the scriptures. He knew the Old, script, Old Testament scriptures well. And um, he prayed. I have a book in my library, that big maybe, uh, of the prayers of Paul. And, and if you read the prayers of Paul in the New Testament, and I remember preaching a series of sermons, actually teaching a class on the prayers of Paul and where I took the letters of Paul in the first chapters. Usually he's telling about how he's praying for them. And uh, so he prayed. He got to know God not in a legalistic way, but in a personal way, through Christ that he could now communicate with. And that's really what our relationship is like with our Heavenly Father. We believe in an in, uh, Christianity. We believe in an intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. Not some just transcend, uh, transcendence out here that people say you can't really know him personally. We say we can have an intimate because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. I, give you, I, I call that the living bridge. I build you a living bridge to my heavenly Father. And then he told, the, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he told the Corinthians, say, the Corinthian uh, people, uh, be imitators of me because I'm an imitator of Christ. That was an ego. That was saying, I have found the answer. Paul was not perfect, by the way. People think, well, he, was per he wasn't perfect. Romans 7 says he struggled with some real issues in his life, as well as many others. He was just like us. But his heart was totally devoted now to this one who had changed his life. What an example. And I'm sure if you talked to him and he said, boy, it, it was tough. I mean, I, I, I had the battle, the struggle, and we know he paid the price in many ways physically for his commitment to Christ. And then it says he wanted to be identified with him here in the power of his resurrection. Look at verse 9. And when we see this then, it says, uh, he wanted to count the cost of all things. He's willing to lose in view of surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ, to suffer the loss of those things. Count them as, let me stop here. Count them as rubbish. I don't want to pass that up. He wanted to count them as rubbish. Now, I don't know uh, how you see rubbish, but... Um, Tonight, one of my jobs, see all the boys left home a long time ago, and so I picked up on the jobs, so I'm the trash man. So on Sunday night, I have to go around the house, make sure all the trash is done, bar pops every once in a while. We go out and put in that green trash can, and I wheel it out to the curb, right? And on Monday morning, hopefully, it's going to be empty when I bring it back in. And that trash that I put in there, that we put in, we don't want back. We, we've given it to the trash company. And Paul said that about his life. I wonder if we can say our self-achievements, we'd like to um, throw them out like trash. And say, no, God, you take my life. It's not wrong to have those achievements. It's not wrong to have those things that you remember, but are you committed to those? Is that where your real heart is? Your real emotions? What if? I remember saying to my dear wife early on in our marriage, I said, what if a tornado would come through here and blow our house down? She says, well, it's just a house. And I thought, well, but I would lose some things in the house. 
He said, it doesn't matter. It's all Christ now in my life. Now, as we look at that then, he's telling us here how he needs to keep Christ first, how he needs to keep Christ personal. And uh, in those verses 7 through 11, if I didn't mention, it says, that's how we need to know Christ personally. That's what he's talking about here. We need to know Christ personally, and I'll finish that out with that theme if I forgot that in my outline. And as we see here then, we see that in verse uh, 9, he says that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, and that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God is the basis of faith. And, and, and as I was putting that down, I just wrote again by hand in my typewritten notes, I said, faith is the key. Faith is my key in coming to God through Jesus Christ. Faith is a key of living my life for Christ. Faith means I have to trust somebody else. I have faith in Christ. He's the ultimate. I give my life to him. I yield to him. Uh, I, I want him to take my life. And uh, Paul says that he's willing to do that. And um, maybe you've received Christ, maybe you haven't. If you haven't received Christ, it says um, that he wants, by his grace and faith, we receive Christ, not of works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about one of Paul's letters. It's by faith that we receive Christ. How many people do you talk with that say, you're going to heaven? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get there. Or, you know, I, I do this or I do that. One of my favorite illustrations that I share it with you and you may have thought about it before. You know, when people start telling you how they think they're going to heaven because they're trying to do okay, do you realize the thief on the cross who repented of his sin never had a chance to do anything to earn his salvation except he said, remember me. He didn't uh, join any church. He didn't get baptized. He didn't give any offering. He didn't help anyone. Uh, individually, uh, in works, and it, it was by faith. Now, we're to do all those things, but when we give our lives to, lives to Christ, it's a great illustration. You only go there through one way, by believing. As John says in chapter 6, I believe, it's the only work that we can do is to believe. And so the Apostle Paul goes on to say, and then he begins to hit the home run here. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of suffering being conformed to his death. That, I'm getting to know him personally now. He said, I want to get to know him intimately, personally, through his sufferings and through his death. What a statement. What a statement. How well do we really want to know Je Jesus, excuse me, as our Savior? He wanted to participate with him jointly. <clears throat> we hear the words today, partnering up with people. He wanted to partner up with Jesus. He wanted to join in with him. Have you ever thought what it must, be like, must have been like when those disciples were being called to Christ? I, I still, I, it just takes me back a step or two when I think when he walked up to him and said, follow me, and what did they do? They dropped their nets or wherever they were tax booth, whatever, and followed him. And they believed in him. They didn't understand everything about him, but they believed and started to be their commitment to him and allow him to train them for the rest of the time he had with them. And then he said he wanted to uh, 
and verse 11, or that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This word is an interesting word, to attain. And um, it's to arrive at a goal or to uh, reach out. And uh, he, he wanted to identify very well from spiritually dead into living dead. And then ultimately other commentators even say to an ultimate resurrection, but especially out of his sinful way of life, out of the old Saul of Tarsus way of life, out of a legalistic way of life, and wanted to come and come alive again. You know, when we think of Christianity and we, we read the scriptures, it talks about coming alive, being alive in Christ. Now let me quickly look at verses 12 through 14 with you. These is, uh, again, just a third point. We must see our goal. We must forget our past. We must know Christ personally. We must forget our goal. We must uh, see our goal. Look what he says here. Not that I have already obtained it, or I have already become perfect. I press on so that I may hold of that for which also I was laid hold of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. The one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ. Now, when I read these verses, they, they kind of uh, have excited me over the years. And uh, he's saying here that he's not ready obtained, he has not already obtained all that he wanted. And he's certainly not perfect, and that word is mature, not perfect meaning he had no sin or mature when we read it in the scriptures. And um, he then said that he, he wanted to obtain, and uh, not that I've already obtained it. And uh, th that means, and I, I looked that up, it means uh, to uh, take to one's own use or to receive and to take it into one's hand. It means like when maybe an athlete catches a ball, baseball, football. Uh, it would be the idea of taking and possessing it. He said he was working toward here. Not that I've already attained it, I've not become perfect, but I press on to lay hold. And uh, when this word press on means, it says he's going to uh, go forward. He was forward looking. I heard someone just this week or someone I was listening to said, we, we need to be forward looking, not looking in the rearview mirror, not looking in the back. And that's one of our problems. Paul says, I, I don't want what was back there. I want what's ahead for me. I want to move forward. Press on. Don't you feel some energy there, pressing on? He said, I'm not laid hold on it. Okay, as he's pressing on, that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of. I haven't obtained it all yet, but I want to lay hold of it. I want to get a good grasp of it. I want it to be mine. I want to possess it. I want to capture it and make it my own. Someone mentioned as I was reading, it's like when the Lord captured Paul, Saul of Tarsus. You've been captured? Do you believe that the Lord actually captured you in the way of bringing you in and giving you salvation, offering it, giving it to you, you received it? So he was willing to, uh, to allow the Lord to do that on his, in his life. And he was caught, as I said, on the road to Damascus. You know, we as Christians need to run hard as we live out this Christian life as Christ followers. We need to run hard. 
And when running hard means you've got to be committed. You need to be disciplined. You need to be determined. I love the chorus that says, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's tough. The world behind me, the cross in front of me. Even though no one else is following, I want to follow. That's a real commitment. We need to work on that. It's a, it's a daily challenge for living for Christ. And so we want to run hard in that race. And Paul talks often about athletic events, running and wrestling in particular, because that was a big deal in his days. And uh, the, the other thing he says in verse 13 here, he says, but the thing I do, here again he reminds us, forgetting what is behind, that means, by the way, completely forgetting. That's hard. Can you completely forget your past? You know, Satan, as best I can understand, he, he tries to bring our past into our lives all the time. Yeah, but what about this? And you know what you did over here. Paul said he just thanked God that he was considering him faithful that we would give him salvation because in uh, his life he had acted in uh, ignorance and unbelief. First Timothy, I think, there mentions that. And um, he was ignorant and unbelieving. But now, God's offering this new life. And so then, he wanted no longer to be worldly-minded, but to be heavenly-minded. My wife's favorite verses, and I always think of them in that thought, are uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Let me read them. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. How's our mind set today? He says, burn the bridges to your past. And you know what I've always put in there? Blow them up. <laughs> Blow them up. Leave no, sometimes when they're burned or char burned and you can still walk back over a bridge, you know, carefully. No, just blow them up. And I don't know if I can totally grasp, and I don't know about you, what Paul really meant when he said, I give up all that stuff. He was on his way. I've always been interested over the years that I've heard people give a testimony. Well, when I became a Christian, I left this and I did that. Paul didn't even want to talk about it, as I mentioned earlier. I don't want to talk about it. I want now what I've been offered. My life has been changed. It's been rearranged. Let me give you a couple more words. He said, reaching forward for what lies ahead. And that reaching means stretching. And I, this is where I really see some active uh, words here. And pursuing. I press on. That means to pursue in verse 14. He said, toward. He bears down upon it in the same direction that the goal in which he's aiming. And I have to insert here, I always think of a horse race. Now, I'm not into horse racing. I'd rather watch horsepower than horse racing, horseshoes. But when the Kentucky Derby or some kind, sometimes I try to watch it because I love the home stretch. That old horse's nostrils begin to flare out. He begins to stretch out the ligaments and the veins and the sweats coming off and the jockey's whipping. He's giving it all he's got. That's how I've illustrated this for years in my own life and proclamation. Bearing down to pursue this goal, pressing on, keeping the goal in mind because of the prize that's upward for us in Christ. The prize, the ultimate prize. I want to quickly refer to the verses back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You may know them. 
Paul said in verse uh, 24 and following, do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games ex exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I, bo I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I disown my body and to make it my slave so that after that I may I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That was his goal. He wanted to live for Christ now. Everything else is in the past. And may I say to you, Paul gave up probably a lot whenever he received Christ. The biggest one, relationship with his parents probably, and uh, all those things that he had, maybe wealth. He came from Tarsus, which is a wealthy town. He was well-educated, including sitting under the leading rabbi Gamaliel, he had it. He said, I don't even want to think about that. I want to run now to that new goal, that upward call of Christ. And so I ask us the same. As we zero in on this, uh, we see that I, I can't, time goes, but verses 15 and 16, he just simply says that, um, let us therefore, as we are, perfect and mature, had this attitude. If anything you have is in a different attitude, God will reveal to you. However, let me keep living on that same standard to which we have attained. Attitude affects our behavior. Attitude affects our behavior. He said, I want to have the right attitude. The right attitude is going to hinder my life. And so he says, I want to zero right in here. And by the grace of God, and I I, if you were to ask Paul, I asked you the question at the beginning, and I saved this one to the end. If you'd ask Paul he, who he was, I think he would simply say, as he said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. Nothing in my achievements, nothing in any other way, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And so I ask us that question now as we tie this together. Who do you say you are? Who do you think you are? Are you willing to say, instead of maybe what your vocation is, how many kids you have, are you willing to start off by saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to say like those athletes, that's why I'm here. I found new life in Christ. And many of them will tell you, they found just like Paul, a new life when they received Christ. He gave them the opportunity with the same abilities, but they have a new opportunity in using those abilities. Now no longer self-seeking, no longer self-serving. Whatever it is, it's because that's God's will for my life. Have you given your gifts and abilities over to God? We all have natural abilities when we're born to come through our parents, spiritual gifts after we receive Christ to come through the Holy Spirit as he desires to give them, it says in 1 Corinthians 12. Have you trying to find out who you are and how you use those natural abilities and those spiritual gifts. He wants to help us do that. Through teaching from your pastor and others, you hear those texts. Through reading, we see that. And I'm going to ask that we just consider this morning, maybe you've never received Christ and you would like to accept this challenge of living this life. This, is, this life, that's, he puts it on a top shelf, let's face it. He's, he's given us a a real thing to shoot for. But he also knew that it was only because of Christ that he could keep living that way. 
And that's our, our goal as well. And uh, that's why we need to pray for one another and encourage one another. I think that's important in the scriptures, and you're, you folks do that here, I know. So I'm going to ask that we just bow our heads in prayer and just this quick look. I'd like for you to, when you go home, sometime reread this passage and give it more time. Just think of some of those points. Am I really living? Am I really pressing on? Am I really bearing down? Am I really trusting God in these days to, to get all that he has for me? Am I, am I willing to be a true disciple of Jesus, a true follower? Am I willing to take myself out of the equation and to live for him? Father, I'm going to ask that as we pray, that you hear our prayers. Um, you just gleaned over this text and so much to say, so much to personalize from the life of Paul. Thank you that you've given us the possibility, the relationship with you through Christ and a relationship with him that can help us live day by day and someday receive the ultimate reward of coming into your presence forever and ever. And that's, that's our hope. That's our faith belief. That's our reason for living, to please you, to serve you, to trust you. The world behind us, the cross before us. Father, I pray as Christians we'd be willing to dedicate ourselves um, wherever we are with that our natural abilities and spiritual gifts you've given us to be all that you would have us to be in the time you have us here on the planet. That we might be faithful lights for you. Testimonies. Past, present, and then of the future which you tr we trust and keep in your hands. Thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your scriptures. May it continue to speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.